The scripture reading for this morning comes from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is God's word. For the past month, we've been looking at uh, a new series called Dining with the King, that's what we're calling it, because we know that throughout the Bible, uh, a lot of narratives take place in the context of a meal, and we thought that this would be a great opportunity in the summertime to walk through some of these narratives. Um, And unlike, unlike today's meals that are fast and fragmented, ancient meals were an ordeal to prepare. And so they were slow and they were intimate as a result. They were very relational. And as, you, and as a result, Jesus Christ, in the context of these meals, you learn something very, very special, things that he desires to teach and demonstrate about who he is and what he has come to do here uh, as a work to accomplish here on earth. Now, the book of John, which is what we're looking at today, uh, we can see it in two parts, two parts in the book of John. The first half of the book of John, the first 10, 11 chapters, um, is, uh, ca- really captures the first three years, the three years of Jesus' ministry. And uh, the last 10 chapters, chapters 12 to 21, really captures the last week of Jesus' ministry here on earth, his life on earth. So the first half of the book, three years, the whole of his ministry, the last half of the book, focuses on just one week of his life. Now, you're seeing that John then as the intensity of the narrative is starting to build. He's focusing, culminating in that last week of Christ's life, which is going to show us more and more about who he is and what he came to do. And we see that, you know, we see that because in the first half of the book in John, the word love appears seven times, seven times in the book of John, the first half. The last ten chapters of the book, 
the word love appears 50 times. There's a tremendous emphasis as Jesus is culminating into his death and resurrection. The word love is appearing more and more and more. People are plotting his death. People are, death is literally looming over the shoulder of Jesus Christ. The betrayer is set in his life. We see that in this text. As the intensity is growing, the, the thickness, the emphasis of love in Christ's ministry. And yet you look at Jesus, no anxiety, no fear. He's not blaming anyone. There are no accusations. Jesus Christ is resolved. Jesus Christ is gentle. Jesus Christ is focused. Jesus Christ is intimate with his people. Think about it. If you have one week to live your life, if you were told that you have one week left to live, who you choose to see, what you choose to do, what you choose to say is going to be incredibly significant to you and to the people around you. In John chapter 13, Jesus chose to eat with his disciples. He chooses to wash their feet. He chooses to teach them a remarkable lesson about who he is and what he's done for us. Three points today. Three points. What did he do? Why did he do it? What does it teach us? Very simple. What did he do? Why did he do it? What does that teach us? First, we're going to look at what he did. The text says here, it was just before the Passover feast, the Last Supper, uh, the, other dis- the other gospels kind of show us, who, who, that capture this narrative. The other gospels teach us that the disciples were having a discussion during this meal. They're having a discussion, an argument rather, about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, who's going to be the greatest as Jesus goes? They were preparing for Jesus now to rise, to vanquish his oppressors. So they're arguing about what their roles are going to be. I want to be Secretary of State. You're going to be the Secretary of the Interior. I never knew what the Secretary of the Interior did. You're going to be the Secretary of the Interior. They said, no, I'm going to be the Secretary of State. And they're arguing and they're they're discussing this, their roles. And it says, during this time, Jesus Christ knew he had come from God and was returning to God. And in verse 4, he gets up, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet drying them with a towel that's wrapped around his waist. The disciples are horrified. They start to rebuke Jesus. Later on in this text, Jesus says, if I, your Lord and teacher, wash you, wash your feet, then you should also wash one another's feet. What he's saying here is, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm about. This is who I am, a servant king. This is what I want you to be about. What is it? I'm going to run through just a few quick things of what Jesus did here. Verses 3 to 5, it says, he came down. Jesus Christ remembering that he is from God and, is, and the hour has come for him to return to God, he got down and he began to wash their feet. In other words, Jesus Christ left his place of honor at the table. He sets aside his normal clothing, his normal garments. And in the same way, the Bible teaches us The Bible says that though Jesus was king in eternity, clothed in honor, clothed in majesty as king, the almighty God, he came down, he condescended, and he became a human being. In fact, he became a baby, the most vulnerable, the weakest form of a human being possible. Second, it says that Jesus washed their feet, the feet of the disciples, In Middle Eastern climates, humid, hot, incredibly hot. In those ancient times, there was no waste management system. There was no waste disposal system. In fact, they barely had any irrigation systems back then. And so people literally threw their trash outside of their homes. 
And, you know, there were no plastics or, or anything like that. So these things would just degrade over time. And so the smell along the roads, particularly the roads with lots of homes, were tremendous smell, disease-infested, incredibly dirty. And because we wore open-toe shoes out there in that Middle Eastern climate in the ancient times, people are walking along literally the trash. And so your feet, the trash would get into the nails. The trash would get, the grime would get into your feet. And if you walked a distance to another person's home, there were no cars back then, so everything you do, you're constantly walking. Common people would walk, and as you walked, you would go to another person's home. If there was a gathering, a meal, you would pour perfume or oils onto your feet and your head to shield yourself, protect yourself, cover over the smell and the grime and the dirt. And there were laws, there were municipal laws set up in particular areas of this land that prevented even slaves and indentured servants from washing a person's feet because it was such a low act. It was such a lowly service. And so most of the time, people walked in, they would just pour oils on their feet to cover over the smell and be a part of the meal because obviously it was so offensive. If you didn't have those perfumes, if you didn't have clean feet, um, it would ruin the meal. And so in that context, here's Jesus, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the King. He kneels and he washes the feet. And whose feet do he, does he wash? He washes the disciples' feet. The people who'd walk closely behind him to learn. Back then the disciples were called the people of the dust because they came so close behind their discipler that, that the dust of the disciples' feet would get onto them. They were called people of the dust. And, they would, and as the rabbi would sit and teach, the disciples would gather around and hear what he has to say. And yet here, he is the one who gets down. He is the one who kneels. And he's washing their feet. And who does he wash among them? Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the one who would betray him into death. And yet even him gets to experience this common grace. Even him gets to experience that common love of Jesus Christ, an invitation for anyone at all times to be able to come before Christ and be washed. An amazing thing. Yet he becomes a servant. The third thing is he becomes a servant. Jesus Christ becomes a servant takes the place of lower than a servant and takes the hit. What do I mean by taking the hit? An illustration that I read and heard, great illustration, because what Jesus Christ, in, in becoming the servant to serve his disciples, is to say this, I didn't create the mess here. I didn't create the mess, but I'm here to clean it up. I didn't, I'm not the cause of this problem that you have on your feet. I'm not the cause of your dirt. I'm not the cause of this mess, but I will be here to clean it up. I will take the hit. I will bear the cost. I will get into the dirt. I will get into the mess. I will get, in, I will get dirty here. The analogy, the phrase take the hit comes from what? Football. You have a quarterback who reaches back, hikes the ball. He takes a three or five step drop. And in a matter of about a second, he has to assess his circumstances. He notices in the corner of his left eye, his, right, that there's a development in his blind side. The lineman there has fallen weak and has stumbled. And as a result, the defensive lineman, who is 350 pounds, running at full speed, ready to basically pierce him, to spear this quarterback, is running straight at him, designed uh, basically to attack him. And on top of that, he sees a linebacker, an outside linebacker, seeing that gap and that opening, also rushes in. Two men designed really to kill this man. And he knows he's got about a second to react. He can do one of three things. He can uh, throw the, overthrow the ball immediately, and then he doesn't get touched. 
Or he can take the ball, just crotch low, and just hope that they just glance over him and take the down. If that happens, if either of those happens, the ball doesn't advance. They can't score, and if they're losing, they will lose. The third thing he can do is he says, I have about a second to hold on to this ball. And while that person hits me, I have just enough time to let that ball go. And so I'm going to get crushed by these two men. I may not get up. My, my, the game may be over for me. My season could be over. But if I can get that ball into that receiver's hands in that one split-second decision and time frame, we will win the game. To take the hit is to be able to see the 700 pounds running straight at his body, to get the, experience the crushing blow and let go of that ball with precision to win the game for the sake of his team. That's what it means to take the hit. He didn't create the mess. It wasn't he that stumbled and faltered. It wasn't him that created the onrush of 700 pounds straight at his heart. And yet he's saying, I will redeem this. I will clean it up. I will do it for you. Listen, this world is a mess. You don't have to look at the past week to sit there and say the world is a mess. We know from the moment we're born, from the first time we've ever cried, the world is a wreck. We know that. It's broken. It's nuanced. That brokenness is nuanced and it's incredibly complex. You can blame education. You can blame the crime. You can blame the corrupt, corrupt structures uh, in, around us. You can blame a lot of things. You can blame the politics, the government. Listen, you yourselves have hurt other people badly in your life. And you've been hurt badly by people in your life. And you can't sit there. It's very easy to blame people around you. But we all know that that brokenness is very complex. It's very, very nuanced. You can look at it in one dimension and say, I have no fault. You can look at it in another dimension and say, it's all on me. It's very nuanced. It's very, very complex. It's easy to take credit for the good things and blame other people. But here, Jesus Christ, he says, I will take responsibility for all of it. I will take the hit. Jesus Christ bore the infinite cruelty of the sins of centuries of, hum of the human condition. He took on the misery of centuries of the human condition on the cross, and he died. He took the ultimate hit. The gospel is this. You may have hurt people badly. You may have grieved the Lord badly. But those sins cannot bring you into condemnation anymore. Those sins will not stand between you and God because Jesus Christ, the servant, took the hit. And so the filth and the smell and the stink of death, the dirt is gone. Somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody has to pay the price. Either you're going to pay the price or someone has to pay the price. Jesus Christ says, I will bear those sins. Either you have to bear it, or you can try to pass the buck onto somebody else, but Jesus Christ says, I will bear the price. I will bear the price that you deserve. Jesus Christ paid the cross. He literally here gets dirty so that you could rise radiant and noble and as beautiful as he. And fourth, he does it voluntarily. There was no obligation in his life to do it. He didn't have to do it. He did it as a choice. He said, my love is a choice. It is not based on some feeling. It's not based because on something you've done for me. My love is a voluntary act. I've obligated myself out of love for you. Now, remember, the disciples at this point were arguing over who is going to be the greatest. Who will be the greatest here? 
And they're saying, listen, I'm better than you because of this and this and this. And the other person is saying, no, 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 I'm the one that's the greatest. I'm the one that's the closest. Might makes rice. I will subvert you. We will subvert the world. The great philosophers of our, of our era, the greatest philosophers in history will say, all of life is a power play. Capitalists say, yes, the art of capitalism is what? My business takes over your business. I am greater than you. I am more intelligent. So the entire strata of our society is built around strength, might, power. Who's got greater wealth? And so we're constantly squashing and stepping over. It's man against man all the time. But communism on the other side of the world, communism on the flip side, says the same exact thing. As an answer to capitalism, it's the same exact thing. Because rather than it being man against man based on wealth and power and title, what is it? Class against class. The proletariat against the bourgeois. One lower class against the other will overturn. It's still man against man. It's just another form of man against man. All of life is a power play. Jesus Christ says, the way up. You want to go up? You have to kneel down. The kingdom will not be advanced on might and strength, but through humility and weakness and brokenness. In other words, there is nothing, there is nothing so beneath me that I would not do for you. There is no distance too far that I will not cross for you. There is no need that is too great that I cannot meet and will not meet. There is no sickness so grave that I will not suffer to touch you. That, he's saying, is kingliness. Look at the kingliness of Christ. Look at the grace of Christ. Look at the compassion and the love of Christ. The king who came down, washed the feet of his disciples, who became a servant, so to speak, and he did it out of, he obligated himself. He volunteered. That's the first point. That's what he did. Now, why did he do it? In verses 6 and 7, Peter, you see, has a hard time with this. He starts to rebuke Jesus. He says, this is beneath me. This work is beneath me. This work is beneath you. Why would you do this? And Jesus Christ, notice in verse 7, he says, you will later understand. And then in verse 12, he says, do you understand? So sandwiched in between you will understand and do you understand must be what you need to understand. And, and we see that here because what he's teaching us is he says, unless the key in that passage in between is this, unless I wash you, Peter, you will have no part of me. Peter didn't understand how dirty he was. He says, I can cover it over. I can cover over. Look. I mean, I get it. It's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. I mean, we can use other things. We can deal with this, right? So, or somebody else can deal with it. It's not us. It's, let somebody else. It's someone else's responsibility, right? He didn't see how bad it was. He didn't see how bad the condition was. He's either thinking, I'm not that bad, or we can make somebody else do it. Make it their responsibility. Listen. How you perceive Jesus Christ as king in your life will set your expectations of him and set your expectations of yourself. How you perceive Jesus Christ as king in your life will set your expectations of him as king and set expectations of yourself. If Jesus Christ is just a servant and not kingly to you, then yes, you will make demands. Yes, you will pray. Yes, you will go to church. Yes, you will read the Bible. Yes, you will be in community. Yes, you will do all these things. But Jesus Christ is working for you. 
and there will be no change in your life. That's how you know that. There'll be no change. You will make lots of demands, lots of hopes, lots of prayers, but there'll be no change in your life. On the flip side, if Jesus Christ is a king, a high king, but not a servant, there will be change in your life. You're going to make changes, but it will be all out of fear. You will not see his love. You will not see the servant nature of Christ. So you're going to change your lifestyle, but it's going to be mechanical. It's going to be with brute force, with fear, because you need the king's acceptance, because you need the king's love, but you will not be clean. But you will not be clean, you see. Peter's thinking, this is gross. This is gross. And then you're going to come back and eat with us? I can't stand to look at you doing this, how disgusting that is. He doesn't see the need. He doesn't see his inability. Jesus Christ is both servant and king. On one hand, he's king. He says, you need to be clean. You need to be clean. On the other hand, he says, and I am a servant. I am the only one who can clean. I will go lower than a slave, lower than an indentured servant. I will obligate myself, and I can clean you, and I will clean you. Peter says, no. Jesus says, unless I do it, you will have no part of me. You will have no part of me. He's thinking about the cross. He's saying, Peter, beyond what's going on here, there is a filth that no one will dare reach in your life. There is a filth that no one can reach, no one can clean, no one would dare to clean, and you know it, and that's why you have power plays in your life all the time. That's why you're always trying to compare yourself with other people, to lift yourself up. That's why you guys are here arguing at the table as to what role and what title you will have. The reason why is because you're still trying to cover over your filth. That's what you're trying to do. You're still trying to cover over your inadequacies. That's what you're trying to do. You're still trying to cover over, make good on your sin, make good on your shame, and you're doing that with money, and you're doing that with a good reputation, and you're doing that with your goodness. You see, I serve. He says, I don't, I don't, you can't do that. that. That's another reason why you don't like to get into the mess. You want to hide the mess, cover over the mess, because that means weakness. That will lower your place in this social circle of yours. Jesus Christ says, deep inside, First of all, the Bible says deep inside, we all object to the truth that we are in such desperate measures, that that such desperate measures need to be taken for us. We are in such dire straits that we need God himself to come down to save us. We are all allergic to that truth. We are all allergic to that. And as a result, everything we do is set up. Everything we're doing, we're trying to clean ourselves up to make ourselves acceptable, to make ourselves approvable because we need to be successful. We need to be loved. And as a result, that's why we're tired. That's why we're fatigued. That's why we just feel overworked all the time. Our work ethic is really designed around this need to get approval, promotion after promotion, the very nature of getting a job, all the people that have to be appeased. And that would increase anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy. The gospel is the end of snobbishness. The gospel, you have a king who knelt down for his own disciples and cleansed their feet. The gospel is the end of comparisons. Behold the most powerful king ever who became a servant, who went to the depths, who went to the feet, who went to the death to clean you, and he says, I dare to clean. Look at the love of Christ. 
Look at the compassion of Christ. Look at the grace of Christ. Look at the humility of Christ. Look at the courage. He says, I dare to do this. I've chosen to do this. I know what it's going to cost. I'm the only one who can. I'm the only one who will. And I'm glad to do it. That's our king, the servant nature of Christ. The 12 disciples, they're getting washed one by one. Can you imagine the shame? I mean, Jesus Christ, their king, is coming to their feet and he's washing their feet. Can you imagine their shame? They're sitting there embarrassed by what they have. And yet Jesus is cleaning their feet. The wash, as he's washing them, the smell is getting on him. The filth is getting on him. The sweat and the dirt and the grime is getting into his nails, onto his clothes. It's all being placed on Christ. Let's eat. Verse 4, the text mentions that Jesus Christ took off his garments. In the Greek, that's the same phrase that's used. A few chapters back, Jesus Christ talks about a shepherd and what he'd be willing to do for his sheep, a good shepherd, and what he'd be willing to do for his sheep. He says, the shepherd, a true shepherd, will lay his life down. That same phrase, to lay his life down, is the phrase that he's using when he's saying that he's laying his garments down. In other words, this act is a representation of Jesus Christ laying his life down for his servants, for his disciples. Only servants lay their garments down. It's too undignified of an act. Only servants would lay down their garments. It's the ultimate act of servanthood is for Jesus Christ to lay his life down. Only the lowliest of people would kneel before people to clean to clean them, Jesus Christ becomes the lowliest. Only servants pour water into a basin. Right? You go to a restaurant, you meet, only those who are paid to do it. The servants will come by and pour your water glass. Correct? Right? That's what we do. Psalm chapter 22, verse 14. Jesus Christ, a messianic psalm of Christ, he says, I am being poured out. Jesus Christ laid his life down. Jesus Christ committed, underwent the most undignified act by being crucified on the cross and being stripped naked. He was laid down in death and he volunteered. On the cross, the cosmic sum of our mess, our filth, our shame, our guilt, our sin that we carry as a weight and a burden, Jesus Christ is washing it as his blood is pouring out. He's lowering himself as the ultimate servant stripped naked, undignified. Why? Jesus Christ left the table of the Father so that we could sit at the Father's table. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, you have turned your face away from me. What you're saying is, this is gross. This is disgusting, this sin, this filth on him. And he turned his face away, faith away, face away. And he said, I can't stand to look at this. As Jesus Christ became sin, as his body's being emptied and poured out as he saw in the call to worship, he emptied himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on the filth and our stench and the death. The wrath of God that we deserve was placed on him so that the righteousness of Christ the love of Christ, the freedom of cleansing is on us. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Never minimize the need to go to the cross. 
and see Jesus Christ cleansing you. Will you open yourself up to him? Where the, I mean, where are the dirtiest places? Places that you would never, that you're just too ashamed to let anyone in. The private sins, the whispering sins, as we, as we prayed in our prayer of confession together. Are you proud? Are you too proud? Are you too scared to say, you know what, I'm a fraud. I'm just, I'm just faking it. Are you too proud, too skeptical? Are you impure? Do you feel dirty? No matter where you go, you carry that burden and your weight with you. Do you feel overworked because you've been just working and working for people's acceptance and approval, either in the workplace or at home or with your children or with others just to keep up? Do you feel used by people, a slave? Are you addicted to certain things, addicted to certain sins? Look to Jesus Christ, who is gentle and gracious and kind. Kings by themselves will only hammer you into obedience. But Jesus Christ, as a servant king, will melt you with his love into obedience. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. Now, what does that teach us? Last point, what does that teach us? Verses 15 to 17. Jesus said, I washed your feet, now go and wash other people's feet. Serve. Get down into the dirt. Lower yourself to the dirt. Substitute. Sacrifice for others and do it voluntarily. That's kingdom love. That's what Jesus is saying. Some of us think that, ah, if Jesus says he serves, so he wants me to serve, that's what I need to do. Just go and serve. That's how I'm going to get approved by God. That's never going to melt your heart. That's never going to melt your heart into, into God's grace. You're going to serve and you're going to say, you know what, I serve better than other people. I expect to be noticed. What, you, what are you doing? You're fighting. You're fighting. That's what you're doing. You're still doing power plays, this time with Christ. That's what you're doing. You can never judge love of Christ for you based on how well you serve. Number one, you're not good enough. Number two, you're not consistent enough. Number three, you're going to be consumed with pride if you succeed and consumed with guilt and anger if you fail. Unless you see that the king of all kings knelt down and undignified himself, debased himself, lowered himself, laid down his garments, and became filth, became sin for you, you will never be melted into his heart. You will never be melted to heed the call to serve others. But if you see that, every time you look at the cross, if you see the king of kings came down for you, you're going to be able to let down the sum of your dignity Bow out of the race. Let go of the power, please. John chapter 12, we saw this last week. The woman who brought the jar, pure nard, years wages worth, breaks it at the feet of Christ and lets down her hair, the sum of her dignity, her beauty, and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. That's what you will do. Because the cross becomes your validation. The cross is the approval, the acceptance, the acceptance, the love that you've been looking for all your life. That's going to humble you because you didn't deserve it. That's going to allow you to lower yourself. You didn't deserve it. But because Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, gave that to you, his love is assured on the cross for you for all time, you know you will never lose it. And that gives you tremendous boldness to take tremendous risks to love other people. That's the end of snobbishness. You will be bold and humble at the same time. Do you see that? 
Get into the mess. Get into the dirt. Serve in the trenches. You have to say, there's nothing that God cannot ask of me. There's nothing that is beneath me because there was nothing that was beneath my Savior and Lord and King, Jesus Christ, our serving King. Christian service commits us to bringing other people to God himself as servants of the king. The opposite of that is a selfish service. A selfish love is a love that is committed for your own purposes, your own agenda, to increase your status, to get an experience and a sense of approval and love through your working, through your doing. That's why we're overworked. Because you're only as good as your last time and you, you never really know where you stand because it's, a, it's based on how good you're at, you are at doing it. And you're, we're never perfect. Christian service says, I will meet other people's needs for the sake of those other people's needs. I will lower myself I didn't deserve to come to the table of Christ. I will lower myself and meet others' needs at my expense. I'm going to finish with this poem from George Herbert, who's an Anglican priest. It's written in your uh, call to worship. Beautiful poem. It's about, uh, I suppose, uh, an analogy of Jesus Christ as an innkeeper and us as unwilling, well, undeserving patrons of his inn. And Jesus Christ's name is love here. So basically, love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. And love says, do you lack anything? And so I answered, a guest, a guest that's really worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be here. Love says, you shall be he. I, the unkind, I, the ungrateful, my dear, I cannot even look at thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made your eyes but I? True, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it deserves. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down. So I did sit and eat. Remember the servant heart of our king. He is a king and a servant. He is worthy of all our praise and worship. And yet he gladly loves and voluntarily becomes a servant to serve us who are so undeserving. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you come to him? Will you come and sit and eat at the table? Let's pray.